evening, Calvary Chapel. Thank you all for joining us here once again tonight. Uh, we're continuing our study through the Old Testament, as I'm sure you all know, um, in the book of Leviticus. In the past few weeks, as we go through Leviticus, we've examined the different offerings that Israel was commanded to make to God in order that they could maintain a right relationship with him and that God could dwell among them. As we go through Leviticus, we see that it spends a lot of time talking about animals, about blood, about laws and rituals that can seem foreign to us today. And through these things, we do have an opportunity to learn a great deal about the nature of mankind and about how our holy creator relates to his fallen creation. That's really so much of what Leviticus is about. It's saturated with the holiness of God. Every page tells us of how supremely holy God is and the measures that must be taken for God to reside with sinful people. With God's holiness in Leviticus, we also see his love and his mercy made all the more evident. That this is a supremely holy, ultimately powerful God, and he has, from the very beginning, provided a way for people to relate to him in spite of our sinfulness. And these laws and sacrifices and rituals were designed to make atonement, to cover over the sins of his people Israel, and also to help them look forward to the coming day when these laws and sacrifices and rituals would be done away with, when a final and truly perfect sacrifice could make atonement for all time. A time when the Messiah would come to reunite God with his people forever. And so I encourage you to keep this perspective as we read through Leviticus. In many ways, Leviticus is essentially a work manual for the Old Testament priests, instructing them on how to carry out the sacrifices, what to do when it needed to be done. But it's a divinely inspired work manual. And it's giving instructions for the most important of jobs. Helping an unholy people to be holy in the presence of a righteous God. God is holy. Mankind is not. And so as we go through the passage tonight, we'll see how God can deal with the sins of his people. How can inherently sinful people become holy and enter into a relationship with God? And so as we pick up in Leviticus chapter 8 tonight, we're going to be covering chapters 8 and 9. We'll see the consecration of the priests for their holy work. We'll also see the priests make the first sacrifices on behalf of themselves and the people. And this process was to continue for many years as God kept his relationship with his chosen people. And so as we look at all this tonight, we're going to see the main point we want to take away from here is that God requires holiness from us, from his people. God knows that we cannot attain holiness on our own, and God, in his grace, has provided the means and instructions for us to become holy. So let's go ahead and dive into the scripture and see what God has for us tonight. Starting off in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bowl of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. 
and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. And so we see from the very beginning here, uh, Moses following God's directions. God tells Moses who needs to be there, what they need to bring, where it needs to be. The the people are to be there, especially Aaron and his sons who are to be inaugurated as priests. They need the various means of sacrifice, the anointing oil, the animals to be sacrificed. And they were to gather all the congregation before the tent of meeting, before the tabernacle, in order to bring about these first sacrifices. And so continuing on, in verse 6, Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and wash them with water. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod, which he tied it to him. He then placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the urim and the thummim. He also placed the turban on his head. And on the turban at its front, he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near and clothed them with tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so this is Moses, once again, following the directions God had given. We see some repetition here from the later chapters of Exodus, the instructions God had given. Um, Here in Leviticus, we're just seeing that they carried those out exactly as they were supposed to, as God had asked them to. So the priests are given their special uniforms that they're to wear while they're performing the sacrifices. Everything about these is to signify their important role that God has given them. They are to be holy and set apart before God. They're going to be taking on a very important job as they do this. Uh, One thing that we will touch on here in a moment, um, you'll probably see these pop up a few other places as we continue our study through the Old Testament. Um, In verse 8, it talks about the breast piece or the kind of the front part of the priest's uniform that he wore on his chest. Um, And then it talks about placing the urim and the thummim inside that. Um, So we won't go into too much detail on that tonight. Uh, There's some scholarly debate as to what these actually were. Um, The most common conclusion, common idea on that is that these are some sort of aid and decision-making for the people of Israel. We see them being used that way uh, through the Old Testament um, as some sort of divinely guided way of casting lots, um, sort of a, a divine flip of a coin or a magic eight ball. Um, that they would ask God a question and God would give them you know, answers through these, these Urim and Thummim, these two items. Um, so I, I think you know, in some ways that could be nice for us today to have something like this. Um, I haven't looked at the Christian bookstore recently to see if they have some sort of um, divine Urim and Thummim magic eight ball. Um, I, I think we, that's something that we can read about in the Old Testament but um, don't have to necessarily carry into our lives today. And so as they 
They anoint the priests, and they set the priests apart for this special work. Uh, they also anointed the tabernacle, once again consecrating it for the holy work that it was to be performed there. And so we'll pick up in verse 14. It says, Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and, the son and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next Moses slaughtered it and took the blood with his finger, put some of it around on the horns of the altar, and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse, he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so we see from the very beginning, uh, they're making the first sin offering. We discussed that a few weeks ago, just the different types of offerings, their role in the lives of the people of Israel. That the sin offering was an atonement for accidental sin, sin that people committed without knowing they had done it. That as they looked back, they realized, oh, that was, that was something I should have done, that I had transgressed God's law and needed to be made right before God once again. Um, in many ways, this was uh, a sacrifice for their sin nature, that because of the fall of man, because of the sinful nature that we have all inherited, that, we would, that they would commit sins, sins that they wouldn't realize they were doing and would need to be forgiven for those. And so that's what the, the sin offering was for. In verse 18, uh, we see the next offering they made before God. In verse 18, it says, Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around on the altar. When he had cut the ram into its pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet and smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so we see that next offering they made, again, as commanded before, the burnt offering. Um, they move on from, from that burnt offering into the next one. Um, they, they move into some special offerings here. Uh, so the next one is going to be the ordination offering. It's similar to the peace offering we discussed before. This is the only part in Leviticus where it's mentioned. Um, this is kind of just a special offering of dedication as they ordain the priests for the work. Verse 22, it says, Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar. He took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. From the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and placed them on the portions of fat and on the right thigh. He then put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. And we see here, again, that, that special ordination offering of a ram. We see the, that followed by the wave offering. They took the, the grain 
um, some of the unleavened bread and presented that before the Lord and then gave it to the priests. That was to be um, part of the, the priest's role, that they were um, to, to eat of the special meal, kind of inaugurating the covenant, celebrating that. And that was also how the priests were to get food, that they were to eat from the offerings that the people brought for certain things. Um, that was how God provided for them in this time. An interesting um, observation in this, this passage, too, is the, the requirement that the blood from the sacrifice be placed on the ear, on the thumb, and on the big toe of the priests. Um, some think that this was to represent their, their obedience to God, that they were to hear and act and walk in the statutes and requirements that God had given them, that this was to be a visible sign of that, a symbol of how they were to live their lives and go about the special holy work that God had given them. We continue on in, chap, or in a, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 30. It says, So Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and eat it there together with the bread, which is in the basket of the ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn in the fire. You shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For he will ordain you through seven days. The Lord is commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. And so we see, again, as they follow through, they're, they're following the commands God had given, uh, that the priests are sprinkled with blood and with oil, that they're consecrated, they're ordained and set apart through these actions. That this signifies, again, the importance of what they're doing. Um, they have the, the sacred meal before God. Um, and the sacrifice is given to make atonement for their sins before they begin making atonement for the sins of the people. And God gives instructions for the rest of the ceremony. We see also that this ordination ceremony was to last a full week, that they were to stay there at the temple for a week, uh, continuing on through this process, uh, just being reminded of how serious the task they were about to undertake was, how holy God is, and the importance of what their work was. So chapter 8 lays out the ordination of the priests, the different processes associated with that. In chapter 9, we see the priests begin their service of offering sacrifices for the people. So picking up in chapter 9, the first verse, it says, Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel you shall speak, saying, take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both one year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord shall appear to you. 
So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses then said to Aaron, come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. And so these sacrifices um, follow the same format as, as they were instructed um, earlier in Leviticus as the previous sacrifices they've given. The, the, the priests are to offer a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering. Offerings for themselves first and then on behalf of the people and their sins. And then in verse 4, God tells them what the outcome of this is going to be. They're preparing that today the Lord would appear to them. Then he says at the end of verse 6, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And so that's what they're preparing for. That's what they're looking towards is the Lord and his presence and his glory coming before them in a way that they had not previously seen. That God had come to dwell in the tabernacle upon its completion. Now his glory would be seen in a further way as they implement these sacrifices and make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 8. It says, So Aaron came near the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And so Aaron makes that first sacrifice for his sins, to make atonement for his sins before they begin making atonement for those of the people. So we'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, Again, the sacrifices do follow the same format that was laid out previously in Leviticus. Um, So moving ahead to chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around on the altar. We go to verse 15, it says, Then he presented the people's offering and took a goat for the sin offering, which was for the people, and slaughtered it and offered it for sin like the first. And it goes on to explain, again, the, the sacrifices, what they do with the different parts of the animal, how it's sacrificed, that the, the waste parts are taken outside the camp and burned. So offering has been made for Aaron as the priest. Um, And then in verse 17, it says, Next he presented the grain offering and filled his hand with some of it and offered it up in smoke on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offering, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons handed the blood to him and he sprinkled it around on the altar. And so we see the offerings given for the people here, the sin offering and the peace offering to atone for their sins, to bring them closer to God, to cover over these sins and make them right before God. And so they continue on making these sacrifices, following, again, the same format as God had commanded them, as he had given the instructions to Moses. And then at the the end of verse 9, really is kind of the climax of this passage, I think. Um, We see God had told them that his glory, his presence was going to come down, would be made visible before them. And so we see that laid out after the sacrifices are given. Uh, In chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. 
Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so at the end of this all, God's glory is made apparent. The, the sins are atoned for through the sacrifice. The sins of the priests, the sins of Aaron, the sins of the people are covered over through these sacrifices. And at the end of it, God accepts the sacrifice. That he, It says that he, fire came out from before the Lord, that God sent fire down from his presence, that they didn't have to light it, that it consumed the burnt offering. And that God's glory and his presence was made visible in such a way that the people shouted and fell on their faces. That they saw God and that they responded with awe, probably some fear, and in worship when God was made evident to them. And so as we read through this passage, it's interesting to think through how to apply Um, the book of Leviticus to us here today. There's a lot in here that doesn't necessarily seem applicable for us as we're living under the new covenant. Our sins are covered over by the blood of Christ. We certainly don't need to be making sacrifices to atone for our sins. But there are some lessons we can learn as we go through passages like this. And we see, again, that God requires holiness from us that God knows we cannot attain holiness on our own, and that God has provided the necessary means and instructions for us to attain holiness. Uh, Here in Leviticus, under the rule of the Old Covenant for Old Testament Israel, those means were the sacrifices, that these sacrifices would cover over their sins, that they could be forgiven, and that they could dwell with a holy God. And we see God's holiness emphasized over and over again. We're going to see this as we continue through Leviticus and into Numbers um, and into Deuteronomy as well. Uh, The Pentateuch as a whole reminds us of God's holiness. And God requires that his people are to be holy. And God made a way for people to be holy before him. And so these sacrifices, the extended ordination of the priests, all these things should remind us of how important the holiness of God is. An understanding for us today how vital holiness is to God's very nature, that it's an integral part of who God is, that's going to help us understand the significance of Christ's work on the cross and of how we relate to God today. And for some application points, the first one is that if we don't understand how serious sin is, we won't understand how significant grace is. That as we go through Leviticus, we see the sacrifices, we see how big a deal sin is to God. That God was and still is very serious about holiness and about sin. God was deadly serious about it. Seeing the repeated death of sacrificed animals would remind Israel of the cost of their sin. It also reminds us of how great a gift Christ's work on the cross was. That we can be forgiven that our sins can be atoned for, that we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ as we stand before God, that Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to, that he died to make us right with God. We also see in this passage tonight that God works through imperfect people. 
that before the priests could begin making sacrifices on behalf of the people, that they had to make sacrifices on their own behalf. Why is this? Because the priests were also fallen and sinful people in need of atonement, in need of having their sins covered over just as much as the rest of the people. This shows us that in some ways, we, we see as we read through that the priests were held to higher standards in many ways and that their sins required special sacrifices, larger sacrifices in the case of the high priest. But that in spite of all of this, the priests still lived with the same limitations as the common people. And these are the priests who administered the sacrifices. These men facilitated the worship of God. And these men were still every bit dependent, as dependent on God's grace as the rest of Israel. And God made a way for these men's sins to be covered over so that they could play a special role in his work of redemption. And we all need God's grace. And the fact that we all need God's grace should encourage us to minister to others, as the Levites did, and not hold us back from it. That God can use us. And also we learn that we should respond to God's provision for our sins to be atoned for, And appearance of God and his glory should drive us to worship and awe. We see the end of chapter 9 as such a culminating event in this passage. Um, Again, we read in chapter 9, verse 23, it says that when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The fire came out before the Lord, consumed the sacrifice, and when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. How do we respond to God's grace? How do we respond to his forgiveness? How do we respond to displays of his power and his holiness? God's glory should drive us to our knees in worship and in awe, awe of his might, awe of his love, in awe that he should descend to dwell among us. If we can remember who God is and all that he's done for us, that should show itself, should drive an attitude of constant worship within our hearts. That the God of the universe has revealed himself to us in spite of our sins. That God has made a way for us to be with him, to live in his presence in spite of our sins. How could we respond to this but in worship? That we can worship God for all he has done. And so in conclusion, as we we look at this passage, we can take heart knowing that God knows where we are. God knows what our struggles are. And that God has provided the means necessary for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be changed more into his image. Um, I'm I am, and I'm sure you are all grateful that we no longer have to make sacrifices to atone for our sins. But more important than that, we can be grateful that our trespasses have been ultimately dealt with and swept away by the blood of Christ. Um, So I'd like to look at a, a passage in the New Testament that discusses how our sins are dealt with today. Um, so the book of First John um, has, again, just some, some great things to tell us about how God relates to us, sin, and how to be forgiven. So if we look at 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. How amazing is that? That sin has to be dealt with, that it has to be sacrificed to cover over, and that God has made a way for our sins to be finally dealt with, that we can be holy before him. That Jesus Christ is our advocate before God, that we no longer need priests to atone on our behalf, that we can go, go before God and know that Christ advocates for us, that Christ stands for us, and that Christ has served as the propitiation for our sins, that he is the final and ultimate sacrifice that makes us right before God. So as we close here tonight, let's worship God for making a way that we can stand before him in righteousness, that God requires holiness, and that God can make us holy, that God has made us holy, that we can have the righteousness of his son when we stand before God. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord God, for your precious and holy word, Lord. I thank you for these truths that are timeless and eternal, that apply to us as much as they did thousands of years ago to the people of Israel, Lord. I thank you that you have made your presence known here before us, Lord, and that we have this amazing gift of knowing you, Lord, of dwelling with you, and that you have made us right in your sight, God, that you have created a way for sinful people to dwell with you, to love you, to know you, to serve you, and to worship you, Lord. I pray that each and every day we would be grateful for that work, Lord, that we would remember just the weight and the gravity of what you've done for all of us, God, and that would drive us to worship, that we would lead lives of worship everywhere we go, Lord, that we would worship you at work, that we would worship you in school, that we would worship you in our free time with our families, Lord, Uh, that everything we do would be an act of worship unto you because of the work you've done for us, Lord. I pray that you would be with us and that you would be glorified. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.